I'm Maria. And I'm Roisin. And welcome to the Fitness Fertility Podcast. This podcast is all about how improving your physical fitness can help support you on your very own fertility journey. I'm a personal trainer who specialises in training women with fertility problems. I myself have PCOS and have had two beautiful boys, and I'm on a mission to help you do the same. Before we get into it, we will be discussing adult themes, such as where the babies come from, pregnancy loss and bereavement. We may also be sweary from time to time. We are optimistic, lighthearted girls, but we know this is a really stressful time for some of our listeners. We respect that. Roisin and I are back this week to talk about a topic that is very close to both of our hearts. We are here to talk about the topic of self-advocating. And it's something we've touched on in earlier episodes, but we think it's so important. We want to dedicate a whole episode to this one topic. We continually hear the stories of women not being listened to. When they go for their GP appointment, they are just merely batted away. And they have another six months of a year of symptoms before they go back again and sometimes to be battered away again. I completely agree with you. And I have had I had one week in particular a few weeks ago where I had um, a few consultations in one week and every single woman I spoke to basically got really upset in the consultation and every single one of them said to me I went to this doctor they did not listen to me I went to this gynecologist one of them that really stuck with me was the lady that went to a gynecologist and the gynecologist turned her away and said there's no endometriosis here you haven't got any endometriosis this is just bad periods and I've spoken to so many women who have told me this story and they get really upset when they're on the call with me which I 100% understand because they don't feel heard it's kind of as though they're saying I don't know how else to communicate to you this is why I'm really keen to do this episode with you today because I think it is probably a lot more important than people actually realize until you've been at the end of it you don't realize how important this is what was your first experience of going to a GP was that before you actually had a fertility problem or was that maybe when you were younger going through menstruation this is a good question and actually it's it's not that simple one to answer because I went on the pill very early because of my skin looking back and I know it's because I had PCOS but actually in my story the bad skin which obviously is a symptom of PCOS came first which is the wrong way around So I said, I've got really bad skin, I've got really bad acne, which I still struggle with today, actually. They said, fine, here, go on the pill. And of course, the pill masks any period or fertility problems. So it was backwards. It wasn't until we then started trying to have a baby when I'd come off the pill that actually I went to the doctor to say, look, I think there are some fertility problems here. But that was when I was in my 30s. But the actual symptoms had started, you know, when I was 14, 15 years old. How long were you trying before you went to the GP? About a year. I was only 32, I think. We are spring chicken, Roisin, uh, at 32. But I think, like I've mentioned in other episodes, I wasn't having periods. I just wasn't having them. So how I thought I was going to get pregnant, I don't know. But, you know, you, you live and learn. <laughs> you know, this is the word of a lie. And I'm happy to admit that on this podcast because, and actually I think it's really important to admit that because it sounds blindingly obvious and like I'm laughing and I know that you're laughing and it's in a nice way and that's absolutely fine. And if I make other people laugh, fantastic. But you live and learn. You know, no one had ever told me it wasn't that normal. I used to run packets of the pill together and I was delighted not to have periods. And I just thought, ah, oh, maybe I'll ovulate and I'll happen to catch it and I'll happen to get pregnant. What I suppose I was laughing at was this idea that you should know, that you should have all the information. We are not born with all knowledge. You have only got the history of your cycle to go back to. Your cycle was extremely different than my cycle. I was there every 28 days with some incredible back pain. I was really concerned about 
just the levels of pain and the levels of bleeding. And, and as a young person, I went and said, is this normal? Are you meant to, mm. you know, have to grind your nails into a desk? Are you meant to triple up on those pads? I was told this was the way it is. You got a strong, healthy, robust period going on there. I think we all live in our little silos and we think that our normal is everyone else's normal. And really, my cycle and your cycle couldn't have been more different. They couldn't have been. On that note, when you went to the GP and and you said, because what you've just described to me is, no, that's not normal. It shouldn't be that painful. Did it occur to you to question the GP? Never. I was, shows you how bananas this is, I was reassured by him. I was told that because it was so regular and so intense and so strong, I was really, really healthy and I was really, really fertile. (laughs) Oh, well done, Roisin. It's it's like a gladiatorial test about how much pain you can take each month. Well done. You are woman. Exactly. I am woman. My cycle was actually fine and conception was relatively easy for me, which I'm truly, truly grateful for. But it could have been endo. No one ever tested me. And I would have gone on with this mistaken Mm -hmm. belief that severe period pain was a rite of passage to have children. I just want to pause on this just to reflect for a second. So you've gone to a doctor, you've told them you're excruciating pain and the doctor's gone, well done, love. That just makes you even more woman. Take out the part of the body you're talking about, because essentially you're talking about your uterus. You'd never go to the doctor and say, I'm in excruciating pain, and they go, well done, and give you a pat on the back, which is essentially what happened. This is one of the things that I've learned by listening to your clients and your story and stories of of our interviewees, that there is actually a lot of medical gaslighting out there. Mm. The idea of self-advocating isn't just this small little thing that only happens when you have an issue. And so with my psychology head on, what I've ended up again doing more of a deep dive into is the kind of cultural norms around self-advocating. Part of the problem is you don't even think about self-advocating until there is an issue. But what I think we need to do is raise our children to stick up for themselves and self-advocate whatever the situation they are in. And it doesn't mean be rude, be aggressive, be argumentative. It just means understand that it's okay to disagree with people. You might be wrong, they might be wrong, you might be right, they might be right, but it's okay to stick up for yourself and it's okay to disagree with people. Because a lot of the time, especially when you're a child, you're raised with do what you're told, you never disagree. And actually that's a whole other area of problems (laughs) for children growing up. But I think the concept of self-advocating needs to be brought in as a cultural thing where it's okay to disagree with people because then what happens is when you first go to the doctor with the bad skin or your horrendous pain that you were in, you've already got in you the practice of self-advocating. I think it's also really important to make sure that people acknowledge that you're feeling what you're feeling. Mm. Because in the case of quite bad period pain, I said it, was horrendously embarrassed that I had to say it. Obviously, because mm. I had to talk about things like having really heavy flow and stuff like that. I think both he and I wanted to get this appointment over as quickly as humanly possible. The mm. easiest way for the GP at the time was to say, it's perfectly normal, nothing to worry about. And for me to go, that's brilliant news and run out the door. At no point did I say, mm. but I, I'm still going to have this pain. <laughs> I'm still going to have this massive flooding and that idea that you are allowed to acknowledge that this is actually happening to you and that you're not wasting Mm. people's time 
and you're not being an inconvenience. Absolutely. And I think actually, even to take a step further back from this, PCOS, endo, it's not actually just all about having the babies. It's about quality of life. It isn't just, oh, you want to have a baby. Now we deal with your endo. Now we deal with your PCOS. It's you're in pain. So it should be dealt with long before. It shouldn't matter which part of your body you're talking to your GP about, whether it's your vagina, whether it's your uterus, whether it's your arm. There shouldn't be any shame around this because that is part of the problem with self-advocating. People are embarrassed to go and talk about this and they shouldn't be. Were there any points in your life where you have gone on to self-advocate? You know, did you learn from that experience, do you think? When I really started to self-advocate was when I had my second child. And that's because I had my first child. My first pregnancy, I just started vomiting. And I thought, I've got a virus. And then I realised, no, I'm pregnant. That's great news. So delighted. And then the vomiting became just unmanageable. And I understood that there's a thing called morning sickness. And yet again, another good reassuring sign that your body's doing exactly what it's meant to do. This was a lot of morning sickness. I was losing weight. And when I had gone to the midwives, because you are passed from the GPs to the midwives very quickly, they would listen to my stories of woe. They would nod along and go, yeah, absolutely, you get sick. We used to have a lot of discussions about how much water I could keep down. And don't worry, it will go at 12 weeks. And then I waited at 12 weeks. It will go at 16 weeks. And then it was like, it will definitely go by 20 weeks. And then they went, no one gets sick after 24 weeks. <laughs> I got sick right to the end of my pregnancy. As in, when I was in labour, I was still getting sick. Only heard the word hyperemesis after I give birth. They didn't even name it during my first pregnancy. It was morning sickness. Morning sickness and hyperemesis are two entirely different things. And it was that idea of, I don't think any of these people are listening to me. Once I realised I was pregnant with my second baby and the sickness came, I went, oh, I know what this is. I know what this is and I know what to do because I've done my research. I want to deal with GPs only from now on. And I demanded that my blood pressure be taken because, again, that was one of the signs of hyperemesis that you get very lethargic, which actually oddly makes you feel more nauseous. I asked for my proteins and my urine to be checked because, again, that, that can become very dangerous for mum and baby. I demanded that I got weighed. And again, I was exactly the same at 16 weeks. With my second pregnancy, I was lighter than when I wasn't pregnant. The difference in care was unbelievable. They brought me into hospital. They gave me drips. I was allowed to have rehydration medication in order to try to keep my water levels up. And all the way through, I felt like we had a plan. And the difference is... I had one experience where I didn't have a name for my condition. And then the second pregnancy, I had a name and I had a history. And I suppose this is probably called comfort to any woman out there that is trying to conceive because you go, well, I don't know why I'm not conceiving the first time. So I don't want to have to wait till the second time to work out why I'm not conceiving the first time. But what I've learned is don't let anyone pass you off I did and as a result of doing that I, I put myself on, and I put my pregnancy in, in, in jeopardy how you self-advocated you used the word demanded and you used it twice because you said I wasn't having this again I demanded this and I demanded that but you said it in a confident way you were like in a positive way I demanded this because I had the right to it and I wasn't willing to put anything at risk just for the sake of an efficient system I think we're kind of raised don't cause a fuss don't get in people's way. Don't cause any problems. There's always someone worse off than you. And that stops you putting your hand up and going, do you know what? Actually, this is going to be inconvenient to you, but tough. This is too important. 
Sure. For a lot of people, when they are pregnant, you have reduced fetal movements and you're, you're never sure whether to go in. I think I ended up going in every kind of two to three weeks on my last pregnancy because I'd been through so much trauma. As soon as I felt a little niggle or a little bit of doubt, I went in and I think I even stopped apologising by the end of it. I didn't even say, oh my God, I'm so sorry to be here. I just went in and I said, I'm worried, can you scan me? And they went, yeah, come on in. And luckily for me, it was all fine, but it was a very different approach. I think the difference in my thinking between my first pregnancy and my second pregnancy, apart from having this word hyperemesis and having something to nail my colours to, is I realised that I wave through a system because it's easier just to get me through the system. And if anything had have happened, no one was taking responsibility for that. That responsibility would have been all mine, that I didn't seek the right kind of care and I didn't seek the right kind of help mm. at the right time. And everyone else would have disavowed what they did. Mm. that's why I think I was so determined no one needs to learn the lessons that we've learned we've already learned them so we've got that stuff down from a point of view of someone that is starting on this journey having a couple of niggles not entirely sure why what is their next steps my advice is this very simple phrase that I absolutely love and it's everything you've just talked about and it is knowledge is power this is so important in this self-advocating journey what I've done to help people, because I feel so passionately about this, is I have put together my fitness fertility self-advocating guide. And it's free on my website. So for any listeners, if you nip over to the website, fitnessfertility.com, and you click on free resources, it's really easy to get hold of. But what's in this guide is, I mean, a whole number of things. It starts with a nice simple grid basically of everything that you need to think about before that very first appointment because knowledge is power. So what I've done for you is based on my experience, based on the experience of lots of my clients and other people that have been in touch with me, I've given you a whole list of things to think about before you even go into that very first GP appointment. And it starts with things that seem really obvious but are really important. How long have you been trying to conceive? You can just jot it down before you go in. How often do you have sex? It sounds silly but the GP might ask you this so you need to know. I've got things like cycle length. They're going to ask you how long is your period and actually you might not have thought about it before. Get a tracking app. I've got things like do you have any issues between cycles because like you said Roisin it might be that you're told this extreme pain is completely normal when actually it isn't. So what I've put is, are there any issues between cycles? And I've given you some examples. Bleeding. Bleeding between cycles, by the way, isn't normal. Um, pain. Not normal. Stabbing pain. Cramping. Headaches. Bowel issues, because bowel issues actually come into this a lot. Stomach issues. Acne. I've listed as many things as I can think of, but you can add in your own as well. Um, I've got your length of your actual bleed in days. So everyone says you've got your period, it's three to five days. Actually, I want you to write down how long is your actual bleed from day one to that very last day, because it might be that you're having a very long period or a very short period, and that could be indicative of other problems. I've got this whole guide, loads of different things that you can think about. I've also got a little bit of a reflection on your fitness and your health. I've got things like, do you smoke or vape? I've got things like, do you drink alcohol? These are not there to be critical. They're there for you to genuinely reflect on where you're at because the doctor's gonna ask you and you do need to know. And it might be that you say, actually, do you know what? Um, I am vaping and I haven't really thought about it. So I'm gonna try and lessen that. We were all guilty of sitting there in the doctor's office going, how much do I drink? Oh, I don't know, do I have three? Do I have th mm -hmm. three glasses of wine mm -hmm. on Friday? Two on a Saturday. Mm -hmm. There is a multiple that they add to what you drink. So they always assume that people underplay. Oh, they don't believe you. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that I've really liked that you've put on medication, because it's a story from a listener. They're on antipsychotic medication for a pre-existing condition of bipolar. Very, very low dose for years and years and years and years. Just keep you healthy. Nothing major. 
And that was stopping her conceiving. So she didn't understand that the, this medication that was basically just a low level kind of treatment, nearly at the point where it's nearly at placebo level, it was actually stopping her conceiving. I also think it's really important analysing your discharge because during your period, you've got all manner of colours and goos and mm. just to have that, or is there a discoloration or is there a pattern? Is there a weird pattern? Is there a weird look? All that kind of thing is just like you're going in there and you are going in and, and making sure that there is a real yep. discussion. They're all signs. What I've explicitly asked on this one, does your cervical mucus change over your cycle? And the reason I've put that question is because A, a lot of people new to fertility won't actually even thought about the cervical mucus before, but basically it's the stuff that comes out of your vagina for anyone that's not sure. There should be a predictable pattern of your cervical mucus across what would be considered a normal cycle. When the sperm are up there looking for the egg, you want that nice egg white mucus. It's things like it's the right pH for the sperm to thrive. The sperm want this particular environment. In the table, kind of towards the top, there is a, a question about cervical mucus, which is really important because you need to know and it will help you reflect on if, if it's never changing, that's indicative that maybe your hormones aren't doing what they're supposed to do. So I've tried to get in as much information as possible, including that. And one of the things that I actually like most, if I'm just going to blow my own trumpet for a little bit here, I've actually just asked the question, what are you worried about? For a lot of people, they are worried about so many different things, but they haven't actually managed to vocalise that yet. And, and I think we've all been in the situation where you go to the doctor and like you said at the beginning of this episode, you come out and you don't feel heard. And it's because sometimes you're not listened to and you're not heard, but sometimes you haven't actually managed to put into words the thing that is actually bothering you. So I've made sure to put in this kind of open-ended question of what is it you're worried about? Like try and get it down in writing because then you can explain it very, very clearly to the doctor. This is my worry. And I've also written in there to write down any questions you have, no matter how small that question is. I don't care if you think it's the teeny, tiniest, smallest question ever on the planet. I want you to write it down. The point of this guide I mean, there's lots of different points to it, but one of them is, so you're going in with the facts, like you're ready, you know, you've got the actual knowledge because like I said, knowledge is power. But also I want you again with my psychology head on to go in feeling confident, because if you go in there and you're like, boom, I have got this information and I am ready. I am prepped. It's like going into an exam. I am ready for this appointment. I've done my research. You're going to come across as a lot more confident. You're going to come across as a lot more positive and you're going to be able to self-advocate for yourself in a much better way because you are ready and you're prepared. And I really, really want people going into the appointments to feel ready so that they can get the most out of their appointment because it can make a massive difference. Because if you're not heard, you might not get put through to the gynecologist. You might not give in the medication. If you are heard, that could take years off your fertility journey. So it's really, really important. What I think with health questionnaires in general that are really important is you can find connections to things that you don't think are connected. Yep. You yep. may have symptoms that seem wholly inconsequential and certainly not connected to one mm -hmm. another. So, for example, you might be having really bad mood swings around ovulation. You might be getting dry, itchy skin and thinning hair. Boom, your estrogen <laughs> is really dropping, okay? Mm. And it may be dropping mm -hmm. too far, too fast. But if you go into a GP and go, these are my three main symptoms that happen roughly around this time in the month and they happen every month. Here it is. And here's three months worth of data. You know, you're going to command that attention. You can print this guide off like you can have it on your phone, have it open, like sit there with it and don't be embarrassed about that. Show it off. Go in and say, listen, this is my work. I am ready to talk to you. This is everything I want to talk to you about. Don't be embarrassed about it because it shows them that you're serious. You know, you wouldn't go into a really important business meeting underprepared. 
and be proud of the work that you've put in in preparing for that appointment because it shows them you're serious. I would like to say at this point, Roisin and I are not here to criticise doctors in any way. That's not what this podcast episode is about. There are so many fantastic doctors out there. Towards the end of my last pregnancy, there was a particularly fantastic gynaecologist and she knew about all my medical history. She could see how anxious I was. You know, I was kind of nine months pregnant, still thinking something was going to go wrong. You know, I fully, I couldn't get over that anxiety and that trauma. And she, she could see that in me. She was so good with me. She was calm. She listened to me. She made me feel heard. And I felt reassured because even if she thought, this woman's going to be absolutely fine. She understood that I didn't feel okay. We're not here to Dr. Bash in the slightest. But what I'm saying to you is, and what we, what we keep saying is, the fertility journey is, the clock is ticking. And we just want to make sure that you go and prepared and that you are able to knock perhaps years off your journey. And if it's just a year that you've been trying and there isn't actually much on this questionnaire, there isn't many symptoms coming up, that's reassuring as well. That's re- that that in itself will give you a bit of confidence. Go, okay, well, I know we've been trying and we haven't quite gotten there, but actually I've got a normal cycle and period looks good and the discharge is in the right order and the right consistencies, the right colours at the right time. At least that way, you know, look, go forth. There's nothing to worry about. It is. And the other thing which we've talked about before is you know, the key for this episode is knowledge is power. And I'm really, really, really keen to emphasise that on today's episode. But what we've also talked about before is control. And we've talked about how the infertility journey can make you feel out of control. With this guide that I've put together and hopefully with this podcast episode today, there are things you can do to feel like you are in control. And even if it's just sitting down with a cup of tea before your appointment, filling in this kind of health checklist, looking over all the symptoms that I've put in there for you, maybe doing your own bit of research, you are taking as much control as you can. Because there are certain things you can do around your health, around your preparation, around your fitness to help you on this journey. You might not be able to cure your own endometriosis, but there are things you can do around your journey that you can control. And for me, being able to self-advocate is one of them. It's important to go in and understand what you also are entitled to. There is an organisation in the UK, the National Institute for Health and Care Excellence, and they have guidance for doctors. Absolutely right. So there are guidelines that doctors are supposed to follow. Again, knowledge is power, forewarned is forearmed. So for example, you can go in beforehand, you can look at the information they're supposed to have under certain circumstances. So I've just clicked on chance of conception and it says very clearly, people who are concerned about their fertility should be informed that over 80% of couples in the general population will conceive within one year if the woman is aged under 40 and they do not use contraception, etc, etc. The point being, if you click on the NICE website, it gives you guidelines over how every stage of this process is supposed to go, how you are supposed to be treated, the advice that's supposed to be given to you, the options that are available to you. They've even updated the advice on endometriosis, I've noticed as well. So they've got advice on there around COVID, um, because COVID, as Roisin knows very well, <laughs> is, um, is still doing the rounds at the minute for our dear listeners. Roisin is recording with COVID. She is a committed podcast host, I tell you. I'm in isolation. I'd like to point out. She is. I'm on the back end of it. So have a look nice website have a look i'm sure roshan can drop it in the show notes but everything is there so you know what you're entitled to before you even go in 
And for those of you that are already rushing to the website to download my guide, if you scroll right to the bottom, it's around about page 12, there is a more support section and uh, a link to the NICE website is there. There are links to uh, loads of other supportive websites like Fertility Network, they're amazing. I've got a link to all the Fitness Fertility favourite podcast episodes. I've got over 48 hours of Fitness and Fertility related podcast episodes there from a whole host of different people forewarned is forearmed you know what you're entitled to and if they're not providing that you can say listen i know that i'm entitled to this so i'd like you to do it please it's just another nudge in the right direction it's just another thing that you control it's another thing that you can do to push the process forward and get you closer to your goals and that's what we're all about and that's what this podcast is all about we're here to help On that note, how will we be helping next week? I know I say this every week, but I do get very excited. We are going to talk about running and fertility. I'm talking about this for a lot of reasons. Firstly, because I am a runner and Roisin's a runner and it is a topic that's very close to my heart. A whole episode in running, everything from how to even start running to how it can support you throughout your fertility journey and at different times in your cycle. So I'm very excited, as always. So tune in, have a listen. It'll be an interesting one. Thank you so much for listening to this week's show. Remember to subscribe to get a shiny new episode each week and please rate and comment and really importantly share with your friends, especially our trying to conceive sisters. You never know who's struggling and they may need that little bit of extra help. This may come as a surprise, but we are not doctors. We strongly recommend that you consult your doctor with your questionnaire before beginning any exercise and nutrition program. Get everything checked out first. Your safety is our priority. This has been a Worth a Listen production.